0: morning and welcome to thy strong word i'm your host pastor phil boo today we are going to be opening the book of acts 2 chapter 18 verses 1 through 23 we journey with paul as he ventures into the bustling city of corinth a place rife with skeptics and seekers and as he begins his work he forms unexpected alliances particularly with a tent making couple aquila and priscilla But as the message of the gospel spreads, so does the opposition. From synagogue confrontations to divine nighttime assurances, Paul discovers that even in the face of adversity, God is with him. And amidst the challenges, a new community of believers begins to rise, making yet another chapter in the unstoppable spread of the Christian faith. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Friday, August 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. But now, right to our guest, the Reverend David Boisclair. He's the pastor of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Good morning, Pastor. Welcome back to the show.
1: Good morning, Brother Boo. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing better than I deserve and certainly pleased to have you on the program this morning. Um, I uh, Gosh, we're getting into Acts uh, deeper than I think that we I have in a long time. I just love... You know, I've just sort of avoided Acts over the past couple years. I mean, I teach from it, I preach from it, but just going through it chapter by chapter, like we're doing, it's just been a refreshing, uh, refreshing way to to learn more about what God's doing through these early Christians. Uh, and today, our text is from the book of Acts, uh, chapter eighteen. Um, before we get into it, though, would you just go ahead and start our time together in prayer, and then we'll dive right in.
1: Yes, let us pray, Heavenly Father. You are not far from any of us, for in you we live and move and have our being. Guide us as we follow your Apostle Paul into his rich mission field in Corinth, where your Son revealed to him where many of your elect people are to be found and brought into the family of faith through baptism in the word of the gospel. Grant that we might have the zeal for souls that Paul had as well as an appreciation of how the account of the apostolic ministry shows us how christ and his apostles established the visible church that we have today through the same jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever
0: amen well brother uh, do you want to catch folks up to see where we've been um so we can talk about paul being in corinth today
1: Oh, it's really exciting, especially uh, Act 17, which is where Paul addresses the um, notable Areopagus or Mars Hill, where he defends the faith uh, to all of the real skeptics and, and the um, Epicurean philosophers and, uh, and, and establishes a congregation in Athens. Um, but, you know, it's, what's really interesting is, is the different ways that he approaches uh, the um, missionary task in the case of, you know, you have a ready-made uh, congregation in, in a synagogue because obviously uh, Christ is the fulfillment of, of God's Old Testament prophets uh, in their prophecy of the Messiah. Uh, but in, in the case of going to Gentiles, you have to maybe uh, go back uh, to creation itself. And and that's what the apostle does when he addresses the um, Areopagus in Athens, and um, and points out how you know there's there's uh, tidbits of of uh, the true God even among uh, their poets and their philosophers and everyone else, and and um, completing at least for the time being his his work in Athens, and he was not driven out by the way. If, if you look at the earlier parts of, of his second missionary journeys, driven out of uh, places like Philippi and, and um, Amphipolis and uh, Thessalonica, and then he comes to Athens, and then he uh, maybe makes a, a, a discontinues his work there and then goes to Corinth, uh, which is a very notorious city uh, in Greek culture.
0: Well, and here they are in Corinth. I'm going to read just the first four verses uh, to introduce Aquila and Priscilla. Here we go. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. All right, that's the end of verse 4. So, yeah, he leaves Athens, he heads to Corinth, and once he gets there, he runs into Aquila. But the way they ended up there is also a, a matter of uh, of some discussion because they're being run out of town, them and all the other Jews, uh, because of Claudius. But I guess they connect because of their tent making. Lots to take apart here.
1: Yes. Um, interesting about Corinth, um, it, it was uh, Sin City, you might say. Uh, even though it was uh, very newly rebuilt, uh, it was destroyed in 146 BC by uh, the Roman general Mummius, and then, in uh, 100 years later, uh, Julius Caesar uh, rebuilt the city in 46 BC, uh, and, and it was had it was very strategically placed, um, you know, in the center of the trade on the Mediterranean uh so so it, it uh, grew it regrew very fast you know athens of course was like a university town this was this was a major uh commercial center in in uh, the roman empire at this time and of course it, it had uh the temple of uh, aphrodite or or venus and uh, there was a cult prostitution uh, that was going on but but there was even uh, an, another the the fact that uh, their reputation was uh, very bad even among in the greek culture because it, to say that somebody was corrupted you would say they were corinthianized and so, um, you know, it's a, a very, very uh, colorful, uh, exciting mission field for the apostle.
0: Corinthianized. Is that anything like being a Cretan, right? Where the, the name of where they're from becomes, a, I guess, a slur <laughs> to to who the kind of people are. Um, well, tent makers are working with leather and other materials, goat's hair and types of cloth. and um, And so we see here— that Paul is, I guess, keeping down a job. Um, rabbinic writing actually says that a teacher should have a trade or other means of support, um, which, you know, I don't know that that carried over uh, specifically into the, the, the mm-hmm. Christian tradition, as we believe that people should, the pastor should be able to make their living from the gospel. But there are plenty of tent maker pastors out there, and we certainly um, uh, respect them for what they got to do to. to Fund the ministry, but that's what he's doing, right? He's funding his own way uh, and not really taking money from the churches. Isn't that sort of the reason why Paul is continuing in this tent making? Yes,
1: it, well, and and it's interesting that that he uh, had every right to expect. Uh, support, because um, you know it was necessary for those who were receiving the benefit of the gospel of Christ to provide for those who taught the gospel of christ as as you mentioned, uh, and the apostle paul um, of course uh, boasted uh, and but but humbly boasted you might say that that he didn 't want to give anybody the impression that that he was um, uh, bringing them to the faith, and then um, you know making money off of it. So he uh, said that that he would support himself if it were necessary, and and so um, you know he said I you know you, I'm not indebted to you, but you know he he um, ha, sort of uh, did a worker priest type of um, ministry among them. At least it, it's demonstrated here
0: in uh, Corinth. And so he stays there, and he's trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks, which, as you said earlier, he kind of has this built-in congregation in the synagogues, but he's reaching out to the, to the uh, I guess, the Gentiles also. But let's read what happens next. I'm going to start with verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. A just pausing there, has Paul kind of given up on the Jews at this point? Is that what he's articulating? Well,
1: it, it it's kind of like in line with um, the Lord, the uh, pattern or the uh, model of the Lord Jesus's ministry as well. It was necessary for, uh, since Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, for uh, the good news of the gospel to be presented to uh, the people of Israel, and and to those who uh, were, you know, in other words, following the um, uh, the words of the prophets, the, the the logia of the prophets, and so on, uh, and 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 this is kind of like uh, what happens when they when they uh, are offended in Christ, and of course there are aspects of of uh, Christ's ministry that would offend um, some uh, observant Jews. And uh, that that he would then um, uh, basically turn to those who have the the Holy Spirit has caused to receive the message of Christ. So this is kind of like something that happened also in in his uh, first missionary journey in Pisidian Antioch and and and, and nearby places. Uh, where where they at first they were encouraging him, but then then it was the presence of the Gentiles in great numbers that offended them, and then they uh, uh, contradicted uh, the apostle. And in this particular case, uh, it was kind of like uh, where it, it seemed as if the that that the Gentiles were. Being more interested in 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 this the new uh, new the good news the new good news of Jesus that uh, they were uh, kind of leaving uh, becoming Jews in that respect and that of course was the whole uh, controversy about Judaizing as well but 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 the Apostle Paul was doing what the Lord Jesus had said if they do not receive you then uh, shake off the dust from your feet or shake off the dust out of your whole uh, clothing uh, menagerie.
0: Well, he leaves there. He goes to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Um, does that mean that he was a, a Christian, or does that just mean that he worshipped Yahweh? Because it says he lives next door to the synagogue, Crispus. But Crispus believed in the Lord together with his entire household, so I believe that certainly would mean Jesus. What about this Titius Justice guy? I, I know that some of the texts actually omit the, t- the name Titius, just say Justice, but, but still, obviously there's some guy that he's staying with. What does it mean, do you think, that he's a worshiper of God? Well,
1: it, it means that he is a God-fearer. Uh, he is sort of on the way to becoming a Jew. Um, because sort of the first <clears throat> the first uh, step to um, become a Jew would be to have your entire household baptized, uh, you know, and of course not in, into the Christian faith, but um, but baptized by the uh, rabbi or the teacher, and then you would be considered a, a God fearer. Uh, the the word in Greek that's used there is like the one for God fearer, sebumenu Ton and and so um, you know the next step, of course, would be for uh, Titius to be circumcised, and and of course that didn't happen. But uh, there was a there was a class of of these Gentiles that were sort of in, um, in waiting to uh, become Jews. That they were known as God fearers. So that's uh, what Titius was.
0: Well, finishing up the little section here, he was there for six months, starting with verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Uh, pausing there at the end of eleven. Pardon me, I meant earlier a year and six months, not six months. But he's there for a, over a year and a half, and he's not really concentrating too much, at least in Corinth. He'll, of course, minister to other Jews later on, but he's most, mostly focusing the rest of his time in Corinth on the Gentiles, and he's working among them. But let's talk about that vision from the Lord, right? Don't be afraid. Wouldn't it be nice for us to receive such a direct vision from the Lord? Uh, But, of course, um, we do have God's sure and comforting word that says the same thing to us. But for Paul to be able to hear from Jesus directly, don't be afraid. Keep on going. No one's going to attack you to harm you. Um, That must have been comforting for his mission because— Paul is going to have to endure, and has already endured quite a bit of persecution for his faith.
1: Well, and I think of all of us as uh, as those who trust in our Lord Jesus Christ want to be as close to Him as we possibly can, and and of course God uh, limits us. Uh, here in this world, in the church, to the means of grace, you know, there we can certainly uh, believe that the Lord is speaking to us authoritatively, powerfully, directly, effectively. Uh, but uh, God does not limit Himself, so in in this particular case, He uh, uh, gives uh, Paul this very encouraging and comforting vision, and and considering the the tremendous um, importance of of. Paul's apostolic ministry, and he's in the office of the holy ministry in the form of an apostle. That's the, the form of the office of the ministry that, that he is carrying out for the Lord. And uh, this, uh, you know, Crispus and his household was the first Jewish uh, household that uh, at least is mentioned that came to the faith of Christ. And and so it, it is very comforting, and we will see in, in, in a few verses how uh, the Lord Jesus will fulfill his promise to Saint Paul.
0: Now, of course, the opposers, those who did not want Paul going around proclaiming Christ, uh, they tried to use the Roman government as a tool against Paul. (laughs) That's what happens in these next verses, because we have the proconsul of Achaia, who is basically the the guy who's in charge. He's he's, uh, in charge of the whole province of Achaia, they try to bring Paul before him to get him in trouble. Let's read that, verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since the matter is a question about your own words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any any of this. So we have uh, Gallio. Uh, he's the proconsul of Achaia. He doesn't want to have anything to do with judging these people, and he also doesn't seem to care if they drag out rulers of their own synagogues and beat them. I mean, if it's not a Roman matter, this guy doesn't care.
1: Yes, he is, he is known in history, and this is very vital in, in dating uh, the ministry of, of the apostle. Uh, his name is Lucius Junius Gallio Aeneanus. And he is the brother of the um, Seneca the Younger, who was the great playwright and, and Stoic philosopher, the teacher of the Emperor Nero. And so he was um, uh, made proconsul, uh which, which of course was of a senatorial province. And um, that was just recently made a senatorial province by the Emperor Claudius. And uh, before that, it was an imperial province and um, and and so he he is there to keep the peace. And there was also uh, unrest in 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 other areas of of his um province.
0: yeah, I, I'm reading here that the Roman sorry, senatorial province of Achaia, the proconsuls usually just served two years and uh, really got usually quite a bit of cash and wealth out of the deal. Um, so we have this guy, and it, it's always fascinating to connect the—we know that the Bible is historic. We know that. We know that by faith, but it's just always nice when we also know by external evidence, and we can point to those who may not have faith or trust in the Bible and say, see, look, these things are happening in history. But even back to the specifics, you know, they try to drag uh, their own, I guess, internal uh, theological mess in front of the people who don't have anything invested in it. They don't care about the the faith or the religion. They have their own religion. Um, I, I see Christians doing that today. I think that's reflected a lot in later Paul's teachings when he's telling us, "Listen, you should." You should settle these matters amongst yourselves. Don't drag them before the courts of the world, right, because we're to judge angels. Um, Even though this is Jews attacking Paul, I think there's something we can learn from this when it it comes time for us to have conflicts with fellow believers, right? Don't be dragging people before the courts of this world until it's absolutely necessary, and hopefully it never is
1: oh absolutely and and of course uh, the devil will of course try to find any way to attack the gospel and the faith uh in in this particular case it's interesting uh luke of course is writing this as a history probably possibly as as a defense for the apostle paul uh before the court of the emperor nero uh, where he had appealed and and he, basically the idea here is to to show the emperor and his court that uh there was no intention to undermine roman authority or roman law and uh and and it was you know it's it's rather interesting like even in in uh, legal cases uh in 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 our own day and age and and uh, the american system of uh, of justice is is based on the roman uh um system of justice as well and And so, like a lot of times, courts will say, "Well, well, we don't have any any stake in this we this is not, has nothing to do with law, nothing to do with with uh legal civil matters. Uh, these are sacred matters and and therefore, and, and that's why Gallio, of course, is just being a good judge. he's saying, you know this is, this has is nothing to do with uh, Roman law." and but it play, plays into, as I said, uh, the defense of the apostle before the Roman emperor
0: oh certainly certainly well as we look through the the passages that we've covered already in chapter 18 what are some other things that are important for people to know how can we apply what we're learning here to our lives today
1: the um what's interesting is in verse in verse 5 it should be mentioned that as some of the commentators point out that when silas and timothy arrived at corinth they probably provided money for the apostles' uh mission work in Corinth and uh so uh you know he was able to maybe not maybe put down his uh needle and thread for uh, making tents and 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 to do a little bit be more occupied in in preaching the word which of course is the thing that the apostles wanted to do uh mentioned in acts 6 um if Jesus's uh Vision to the apostle points out the the comforting fact that we as Christians uh, are chosen by God to salvation because he says, you know, you should stay here because I have many people in this city, you know. So obviously, God alone knows those whom He has uh, chosen and and those who are members, uh, you know, that will be members through word and sacrament. Um, they're they're appointed or chosen for belief in the truth, through sanctification as we see in in uh, first thessalonians uh the passage there that deals with that or it might be second Thessalonians through uh, sanctification and belief in the truth and so uh, it is through paul's ministry of preaching the gospel and and the church and of course working with the the congregation to baptize those who are coming to the faith that uh these those that the lord has chosen will be brought into the family of faith and and so that's that's a very comforting thing uh, and that that the lord is present with us in in the means of grace and through the ministry of the word
0: oh agreed agreed and and I think it's also fascinating, though. And I think this is something we have to learn too. Is you know, right after uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrive on the scene, according to verse five, we have uh, verse six. And when they opposed and reviled him, that is the people. He shook out his garments and said to them, "Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent." Now we've talked about this earlier, and you mentioned, of course, Jesus saying to cast off the dust of your feet and. You know, sometimes it's just pearls before swines, we know those teachings. Um, I think today, in our modern context, it would be good for us to be a little more discerning and wise when uh, we are, I guess, when, when we are proclaiming the Word of God, there are times when it's okay to just say, this is not being received. I don't have a relationship with this person, or they're too hostile. I think sometimes we feel like unless we're out there suffering for the faith and being persecuted, we're not trying hard enough. Um, but I think Paul and, of course, even Jesus says sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm going to move on. Um, I think that's a lesson we could learn probably. It causes us a lot less headaches sometimes.
1: Well, I mean, and, and then maybe there are others that are um, where – There is the opportunity for the the Lord to work through them uh, to hear the gospel. You know, it's interesting how they report uh, in our mission work in uh, places like China, and I'm talking about the mission work there, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. I mean, they would people would labor there for 20 years and maybe have maybe a congregation of 10 or or, or a small congregation. They weren't, uh, you know, but nowadays we hear of, of mass conversions in Africa. And so there's there's other opportunities. And so, um, you know, that's kind of in the nature of things that the Lord says, well, you know, there's another fruitful mission field. It, you know, he didn't seem, Paul didn't seem to be staying too long in Athens, although there were some believers there that are mentioned. Uh, but but there was quite a, a mission opportunity in Corinth, and, and and very unusually in Paul's missionary journeys, he spent that long a time, a year and a half with them.
0: Yeah, quite a bit of time. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, let's just take a few minutes. We'll absorb everything we've learned so far, but we'll come back. And when we do, we're going to keep on going through Acts chapter 18. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. Bye. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend David Boysclair, pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Friends, it's always a blessing to be in God's Word, and it's especially a blessing to have you here with us this morning. I love hearing from guests. I'm happy to answer all the questions that you might want to send my way. You can do that by reaching out to me via email at Pastor Boo at gmail.com, and you can also find me on Facebook. Just search me up. I'm Phil Boo on Facebook, and when you do, let me know how you're listening. Is it over the air? Is it via podcast? Is it online at KFUO.org? Is it using the KFUO radio app? I'm not sure how you do it, but you're here, and I love it, so let's get back to the Bible. Okay, now, Pastor Boys Claire, you know, before the break, I was just, um, or actually during the break, I was contemplating our discussion so far, and one of the things that stood out to me that I wanted to talk about was Jesus's vision. Now, I brought it up earlier, but something occurs to me. Jesus says, you know, I'm with you, no one's going to attack you to harm you, because I have many people in this city. Um, but Obviously, the vision didn't guarantee that there wouldn't be opposition or challenging situations. In fact, people attacked him right away after the vision, attacked him by bringing him before the proconsul. They wanted to harm him. He wasn't harmed. Somebody else was. Uh, but how do we mesh the vision that he got with the reality that what followed was very much an attack?
1: Well, obviously, Paul was was uh, preserved from that attack. And in the other cases, uh, he was beaten, um, like in the city of Philippi, Um, you know, when when uh, the you know, he basically uh, hurt the trade there by exposing the ventriloquist uh, who uh, caused the, you know, put uh, through his or rather the female was a ventriloquist throwing her voice into statues and everything and being possessed by a demon and then uh Paul just got tired of hitting the exorcise the demon and then they brought him before the uh, uh the magistrates now in those in that case it might have been uh, the Greek magistrates of the city of Philippi uh, who then uh, beat him with rods um him and Silas and uh but in this case of course he he was preserved i guess by the uh judicious uh rulings of a Roman judge and proconsul
0: indeed well let's let's keep on reading and add some more verses to our conversation um i'm going to be starting with verse 18 After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. um, At uh, Chinchere, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills and he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the, reason of Gal- the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, so... This is going to be the end of our text for today. You know, we just have Paul hopping from place to place. uh, But trying our best to learn from this text, even this one which seems just to be kind of filler material, um, we look here and we we see that he stays many days, he then leaves the Christians, the brethren, and he goes to Syria with Priscilla and Aquila. I, I suppose by this point they've become... Believers. I didn't get the sense that they were believers when he first rolled into town, but now it's clear that they are.
1: Well, no. According to some scholars, they they believe that uh, Priscilla and Aquila were believers um, even from the time they were in Rome, and they were they of course left Rome. Uh, the as you know, the uh, at least from Suetonius, who was a uh, a historian, said that that Claudius expelled the. Uh, Jews from Rome because of a riot over Crestus and, and and some scholars have said well Crestus is a sort of a misspelling of Christus and so uh, there was a, um, a a riot in Rome uh, between the Christians and, uh, and the Jews uh, and of course probably started by the Jews who were very uh, persecutorial they were the first persecutors of the faith uh, as is recorded in Acts um, now we don't know that for sure. They, we know that they were Jews. And, and in a sense, they became kind of like a power couple uh, in missions. Uh, and, 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 and as we as we will see in, in verses to come, uh, you know, they they sit down Apollos, who is mighty in word and deed, and, and turn him to the Lord uh, from the uh, baptism of John. But in, in this case, uh, they're, they're, they travel. They will go from Rome, then they go to Corinth, and then they then they go to Ephesus, which of course will be the center of Paul's third mission. Journey, and um, and from there, then they go back to Rome. After that, because when the Apostle Paul writes his letter to uh, epistle to the Romans, uh, then they, the first one of the first people that he greets greet Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila. Uh, you know, they risk their necks for me, and and so uh, you know he's he's kind of like got some new missionary partners in this uh, in this power couple for Christ.
0: Oh interesting. Yeah. And and I guess going back to the reason why um Claudius had commanded the Jews to leave Rome. I, I have read that connection. I guess my thought was just the way it read in verse 18. It says after this Paul left Athens, pardon me, verse 1. After this Paul left Athens uh, Athens and went to Corinth and he found a and he found a Jew named Aquila. So I guess that's sort of what leads me to believe that maybe they weren't believers yet cuz I think it would he then describes other people as believers in God or other ways, um, but you're absolutely right, considering they were caught up in that, uh, I guess, dispersion of Jews over this Christus fellow, which we uh, can discern to be Christ and perhaps believers causing a ruckus uh, accidentally as people were resisting the message, that they were caught up in that too. So yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, what else can we learn from this text? Because, um, you know, we have... Paul going from place to place to place. He's having all these, having all these, exciting, these exciting adventures, adventures um, but it's not quite how, not like it, how it, it, it works out for us, it today. Out for us today. Yes.
1: Um, and, and in this case, um, I, I, I have to agree with you because he's mentioned as a Jew, uh, you know, and, and, and if he, if, I mean, Aquila and and Priscilla, and and probably it was through Paul's ministry that they were brought into the faith. And, And as I said, they kind of became, you know, it's rather interesting that Silas drops out. From here, you know we, yeah. we hear about Silas up into uh, Philippi and every and, and in that mission, but then Timothy, of course, is still here or still working with Paul, and then and as mentioned, he he comes back up in mem and uh, mentioned in chapter twenty. Um, you know, this is these are just it's not really uh, what was recorded in his first missionary journey where Luke mentions, you know, he basically presents the, uh, the kerygma, the proclamation of the apostles in, in that missionary journey here. It's, it's, he's only telling us what happened, you know, what, like where, where the transitions were, uh, you know, and this, 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 uh, passage of Scripture is sort of the conclusion of his second missionary journey, and then sort of a foretaste of the third missionary journey, which uh, centers pretty much in Ephesus.
0: So before he gets to Ephesus, though, it says that at Senkari, or Tenkari, it's a pretty difficult one to say, C-E-N-C-H-R-E-A-E, for those keeping track at home, Uh, this particular town, which is a... A village seaport near Corinth to the east, um, we see that he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. Uh, tell the folks what that could be. Well,
1: um, first of all, about Cencrea, I've heard it that pronounced that way, It's and it's also mentioned as the home of Phoebe uh, in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, because he probably wrote that letter from Corinth, Cencrea. Uh, um that that was a sort of a feeder city that that was sort of a city that was at the uh, of the port city of the main major city like the city of rome had the city of ostia as its port city the city of athens had its uh, port city of piraeus in this particular case and crea is the uh, port city of the city of corinth and so that's where they and if they were going to embark away from Corinth and go somewhere else, they, they would go there. And then uh, he he was uh, probably uh, under took a vow of the Nazarite, which is mentioned in um, Numbers, chapter six, one through twenty one. And um in that particular case, uh, you you were you were it it is in some cases, like in the case of Samson, most notably, he was a Nazarite for his entire life. But it is possible for a uh, Israelite to uh, just simply take a temporary vow of the Nazarite as Paul may have done at that time. And and um it's rather interesting that F F. Bruce in his commentary on Acts uh just gives us these helpful statements uh where he says, um, I'm just getting that at can at Sencrea, we are told he, Paul, cut his hair for he had a vow, that is to say, for some purpose, perhaps connected with his missionary work at Corinth, he had undertaken a temporary Nazarite vow for the duration of which he allowed his hair to grow long. The cutting of his hair indicates that the period of his vow had come to an end. And and so that's kind of the explanation. But it's rather interesting that this uh, action of the Apostle Paul would be uh, something that was taken into the church uh, through the Middle Ages because you had the uh, shaving of the monks, uh, of, of people that went into a religious uh, community. They would they would have their heads shaved.
0: You're talking about this Nazarite vow, right? It's a special commitment to the Lord, and in addition to the head, right, no, no wine, no strong drink, no t- touching dead bodies that might probably been okay with most folks, uh, but also to not cut their hair and then they would shave it at the end, right? So that makes sense. Um, and it's interesting, you're connecting that to the tonsure of the monks in the Middle Ages. Um, we know, of course, that Christians today aren't required to take specific vows like this vow. But you know how do we, uh, or how should Christians view and honor personal commitments or personal vows? To God, right? So, is this something that Christians should avoid doing? Should they do it, but of course, take it very seriously and honor it? Um, you know, can personal vows enhance a, a Christian's faith? I mean, how how does this fit in today, if at all? Well. Um... It, you know again it it's kind of like uh,
1: christians are have the freedom in christ to to do this if they so desire but uh, they have to recognize the fact that it has to be in accordance with god's will uh, as as luther said um it to take a vow not to get married you know of of celibacy uh is similar to making a vow that you will not kill your father or or to kill your father i think that's how, how luther put it. Uh, so if, if you make a promise to God, which, which um, you know, you by your uh, faithfulness to him and by your uh, devotion to him, you should keep your promises to him, but it, it should be in accordance with his will and, and the manner in which he has um, established um, life in the earth. And, and so that, that would be what I would say. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like something that you might undertake in, in your freedom in Christ. If it's something that will um, be good for your faith or the faith of others, Um, you know, but but like if if people know that you made a promise to God and and then you're not able to keep it. And and of course, that's a sin in a sense that then you confess it uh, still that that kind of um, maybe causes people to look down on the faith as a result of it.
0: Well, and you and I have made vows, right, in our ordination vows, so the idea of vows certainly hasn't gone away completely, um, but we have to—I think one of the messages for the listeners is that if you were to undertake a vow, either one that someone's asking you to do, like a church, or one that you're doing personally, as you said, breaking that vow is a sin against God. You don't have to make it, so it should be done with the you know, utmost care and deliberation
1: exactly and and um uh and and like as you said i think that that shows the god pleasingness of vows like when uh, of the vow of a husband to his wife in in holy matrimony, or in, or the vow of those that are placed into the office of the holy ministry that they are to be faithful stewards of, of God's word, you know I, I think that's that's very very important. Uh, so those are definitely God pleasing uh, vows that, that can be made. But um, you know then then you see uh, examples as you will look in later in in the book of Acts where there are men who takes take a vow that they will not eat until they had killed uh, Paul, <laughs> Right. Uh, right. and so there's, there's evil, evil things that can be done through uh, making an oath in this way.
0: Sure, yeah, over 40 men say that they're not going to eat until Paul is dead, right? So that would not be a, a particularly uh, God-pleasing vow. But anyway, yeah, he heads to Ephesus, and he um, leaves some folks there, he reasons with the Jews. But verse 20 says, when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But as he was leaving, he says, I'll come back if God wills. Now, I don't think this is exclusive to the South, but growing up down South, it was almost a common part of any plans you would make to add the uh, if the Lord wills to the end of the statement. So, you know, you want to go to the movies? Well, if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise, right? So we have this kind of built into the Christian psyche that, Even the plans we make, we always want to make them in concert with the will of God. Um, So he says, I'll return to you if God wills, if the Lord wills. I I say that all the time, but that's a good attitude to have, I would think.
1: Well, uh, as you know, in the book of... um, uh, James, um, you know, James reminds us that, uh, you know, you shouldn't uh, make your plans and, um, you know, say that I'm going to carry out business, I'm going to do such and such, but that you should uh, say that uh, if the Lord wills, you will do that so so it right. is kind of the action of the christian to always live in accordance with with god's will and and not to say well i'm i'm going to i am going to um uh Go to this city, and i'm going to be very successful you know i mean and, and it, it good to have positive thinking isn't it but if of course if you're uh, if you're a christian uh you you always want to submit yourself to to god's will and it, it, you know what's rather interesting in in the uh, second missionary journey is the apostles going uh into Europe that the holy spirit prevented him from going to uh, bithynia and other places and and like to ephe or south to ephesus during that missionary journey so it wasn't god's will for him to uh, journey there but then we will see in his third missionary journey that that it was god's will for him to spend time in ephesus
0: yeah and and while he's at ephesus it says that he reasoned with the jews so that kind of addresses what we talked about earlier you know has he completely given up on the jews Well, not a hundred percent, but in terms of the Jews of the place where he was meeting so much resistance back in Corinth, then, well, yeah, he was just going to focus on those who are more receptive. But here is evidence that obviously he didn't give up on his people. In fact, we hear a lot of passion, pleas from Paul throughout his ministry that he cares deeply for his brothers in the faith. But yes, here, yep, he goes on and continues to minister to the Jews. He hasn't given up on them completely.
1: Yeah, and, and, and just a, an exact for the listeners, uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, uh, where where it says, um, uh, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. uh Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And that's, and that's kind of the scriptural warrant for that.
0: Amen. And then he, it says in 22, he, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church and he went down to Antioch. Now, that really marks a return to Israel after spending some time proclaiming the word to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, of course, and to Jews too, as we've seen. But now he's he's made his way back into, I guess, closer to Israel territory and he's uh, proclaiming the word again, but he's—I guess—he's returning to home base in a way. Doesn't Antioch serve as a home base for Paul in many ways during this time?
1: Oh, yes, it is. But but in in verse twenty-two, it is uh, he is stay, stating that he went to Jerusalem. Uh, so he and, and that was customary. Any any other any place that you are in Judea or Galilee, you would go up. To Jerusalem, and so in verse 22 he says he landed in Caesarea, and then he went up and greeted the church. That is the church in Jerusalem, and then he ah. went down to to Antioch. So that that's uh, you know in in a sense anytime you talk about traveling in the Holy Land and especially uh, with the center of of uh, you know the spiritual center of the area being the city of Jerusalem, a city that is what uh, sacred to four faiths or three faiths, <laughs> right. uh, you know, so he, he he goes up and greets the church in Jerusalem, and then he goes down back to his, his um, you know, his mission base in Antioch.
0: Now, see, that's interesting, because that kind of escaped my attention, you know, because it just says he went up and greeted the church. Uh, so that makes sense that he's going up to Jerusalem, um, right there where, of course, he'd been Criticized by the circumcision party, but still he's heading up to see. Is Jerusalem kind of the? Would you call that the home base of Christianity at this point? I mean, we know today of its of its extreme uh, value to Christians and Jews and even Muslims, but but during this time, this is the home base for Christianity, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And but uh, but you know, as as it's sometimes presented that uh, you know because of the poverty. Uh, you know there was a, a drought during the time of the emperor Claudius, which is mentioned, and and uh, you know the the church there suffers very greatly, and so uh, and then and then the apostle Paul comes back to them, uh, and brings uh, after the third missionary journey and brings a a, a large. A uh, gift of love from the congregations in, in Greece and and elsewhere uh, for the, for the church in Jerusalem, and even as the apostle says that what he would do is, you've benefited from their spiritual riches. Now let them benefit from how you've been blessed by God with your material riches, and and so there's that tremendous offering that is presented to them.
0: Now, the reason why Jerusalem was really the headquarters of Christianity during this time is because probably of its natural r- relationship to the temple and uh, the place where uh, Christ had been crucified and, of course, the core believers you know, being centered there early on. But during this time, there really, besides those sorts of things, there really isn't anything making Jerusalem any different than anywhere else. What I mean by that is... The Christians really don't have any relationship with the temple at this time, right? Christ is the temple. temple of the Holy Spirit is within the hearts of each believer. So what's the relationship, if any, to the temple that Christians had uh, back then well, and, I, of course, even today? I think it's important for people to know.
1: I, I think, uh, of course, if— You know, as you see, uh, after Paul comes back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, he uh, sponsors some uh, Jewish men who make a a vow, and he goes into the temple. Uh, Well, maybe as long if you go in there to worship, that's that's okay. But and if you're Jewish, you know, because obviously there is a a prohibition uh, that you know even would would supersede anything the emperor would say if that any Gentile would dare to come into the sacred precincts of the temple they would be put to death and so there if if they of course were not um, openly showing their Christianity they could probably still worship in the temple as as you can see from the Apostle Paul doing that but it caused a great uproar because they recognized him this is the guy that has, has turned the world upside down and here he comes to destroy the temple
0: so for the Christian, the temple is really just, a, a, I guess, a source of people who could become believers, right? Who, who are waiting for the Messiah, who I'm going to go and tell about the Messiah. And the reason why I bring it up is because I do know that there are a lot of Christians that put a lot of focus on um, the First Covenant, and they talk about Jews being set apart as, as uh, God's people even to this day, even if they have rejected Christ— They put importance in the Temple Mound and the future building of the Temple. We call this Zionism, Um, but that's not something we find in the Old Testament. They're based in Jerusalem because of the history of the church, and they're going to the Temple because that's where people need to hear about Christ, not because they believe that these ceremonial laws uh, still apply. Am I correct in saying that?
1: Oh, yeah. That's very vital to be emphasized because a christ has fulfilled the ceremonial laws of the people of israel of 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 the hebrews and and so that's in in a sense that it, that it continues to go on is uh there there is no um that the, the thing is, is that that the important thing is to hear the word of God and to be and to have go to a place of prayer uh, and, and to worship God and probably to uh, share the gospel, uh, because who would know better about uh, what was what was demanded from God's law than than the Jews?
0: agreed. Anything else, we're here at the end of the show and I just want to give you a chance to uh, sum it up for folks, something for them to take home before we end our time together today.
1: Well in verse 23, of course we're, he start it shows the start. Of the third missionary journey. And so, you know, after all of those travels, all of those arduous days and years that, that he does, that he's still uh, willing to go out and, and, and tell the, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has reconciled the Father to us and he has uh, um, basically destroyed death and and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and how what a uh, what a joyful story of of that in these in these early days uh that that shows that christ is the universal savior that he uh, is not willing that any should perish but that all reach repentance and, and that the apostles are, are so intrepid that they will uh, even face uh, being put to death uh, for, for the sake of Christ. And, and, and what's so important is, is their faithfulness, uh, you know, as, as, as it says of those who are in the holy ministry, that it is required of a man that he be found faithful so that they might be faithful to our Lord Jesus and faithful to his gospel of salvation.
0: Well, that's a great place to end, folks. I'd like to thank my guest this morning. It's the Reverend David Boisclare. He's the pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor, thanks again for being on the program.
1: It is my joy, and may God bless you and your ministry and, and all the people of God as they serve in their great life of faith.
0: Thank you, brother. Well, folks, tomorrow—actually, Monday, I should say—when we get back together, we're going to continue chapter 18, where Luke gives us a glimpse of what happens in Ephesus without Paul, right? We're introduced to Apollos, a very skilled preacher who was very well-versed in the Scriptures, and so it shows us how the Spirit is continuing to work in Ephesus even when Paul's not There. Of course, he later writes a letter to Ephesus, but we will talk about that later too. But until uh, Monday, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.